Well, hello. Uh, welcome again to Grace Church. My name's Rick. Uh, if this is your first time, you're especially welcome. I'm going to uh, spend about 20 minutes speaking from the Bible, uh, and then there'll be an opportunity to sing again, and then we'll be done. I just want to say to any parents watching at home with kids, uh, that this morning um, there's going to be some pretty adult themes, which I'm not going to talk about explicitly. Um, but uh, if you wanted to, to skip this part of the morning and, and maybe watch it on YouTube later, well, you're perfectly welcome to do that. Anyway, before all that, I thought I'd give you a bit of an introduction uh, to me. I'm Rick, as I've said, and I'm a big fan of Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. And perhaps, like me, you're really looking forward to the Premier League season uh, restarting. Or, hang on, no, it's, re it's restarted. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I hope this doesn't ruin your Sunday experience. <clears throat> this isn't actually live. I'm, I'm not upstairs in, in my study recording this. I'm actually probably downstairs watching myself. Um, this, this stuff takes quite a lot of editing, so we have to record it before. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, at time of recording, I'm actually feeling quite optimistic about Brighton's chances of surviving uh, the Premier League this season. Before lockdown, I wasn't really, you know, we hadn't won a game in all of 2020. I thought, oh, we're just spiralling into draws and relegation. But now, no, I'm feeling good again, you know, and, and I feel, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it in faith. Well done, well done, Brighton, for yesterday beating Arsenal 3-0. What a magnificent result. I, Glenn Murray, your hat-trick, superb. I'm going to take a moment here while the, uh, <laughs> the chat tells you what the uh, the actual result was and see how much of a, a fool I've made of myself there. In truth, I don't hold out too much hope. Uh, it's a classic sort of David versus Goliath fixture, you know, where scrappy little Brighton takes on the giants of Arsenal. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is probably the most tenuous link you'll ever hear into, uh, into a preach, because this morning uh, we're going to continue looking at the Psalms, which are the the songs of the people of God, and uh, and this particular psalm was written by that very same David, um, who took down Goliath, much as Brighton definitely, maybe took down Arsenal yesterday. Again, check the chat for the uh, actual result. But this isn't David at his victorious best. This is actually later in David's life, at his absolute worst. Because today we're going to be looking at how the Psalms teach us to deal with our mistakes. So if you'd like to turn with me uh, to Psalm 51, um, if you have a Bible. Uh, if not, there's, there's a little uh, tab you can, you can find on, on the Church Online portal. And uh, this is a, a psalm of two halves, and I promise that's where the uh, football analogies are going to end. Uh, but uh, I'm, because of that, I'm just going to be reading the first half, which is, uh, which is verses 1 to 9. They're going to appear on the screen, and I'm reading from the ESV. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast Love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Transgressions just means mistakes. Although mistake feels a bit... Uh, it's not quite strong enough for the grievous sin that David has committed at this time. 
Let's carry on. Verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I, I know my transgressions. I know my mistakes. My sin is ever before me. Against you. He's talking to God. You only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words. And blameless in your judgment. Behold I was brought forth. In iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's not to say his, his mother did anything wrong by having him. But rather we are just born destined to be sinful, be fallen, to make mistakes. Behold, speaks to God again, I, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. Derek Kidner, who is one of the commentators on the book of Psalms, he says this uh, word in verse 1, steadfast love, is a, a covenant word. Which means that David understands the nature of God and the nature of his promises. That those who trust in God's forgiveness will be forgiven as a free gift. See, and that's the place we have to start when, when dealing with our mistakes. Because nowhere in this psalm does David offer any sort of bargaining chip. He doesn't offer anything to God to try and get his forgiveness. Which I think is a little bit outrageous. I remember the time I, was, uh, I went to the shops, I was on my way home from something, and I popped in and got my wife a, a bunch of flowers. And the cashier said to me, oh, in trouble are we? And I wasn't. I just I just love my wife, and I wanted to get her some flowers. But it speaks of a, a, a sense that we have that when we make mistakes, that we feel we have to offer something to make things right again. That we have to buy back forgiveness, which isn't in God's economy at all. It's a free gift, which makes sense because, well, what would you offer Him anyway? So the first thing we have to be aware of when we deal with our mistakes is that we have nothing to make amends. We have nothing to offer. And this is true in, in human relationships too. I was, I was reading an article on the BBC uh, recently. One of the sort of strange side effects of lockdown is that lots of people have been getting in contact with ex-partners uh, to apologise for the way they broke up or some of their past behavior in the relationship uh, maybe i don't know sitting on your own makes you reflect on all the things you have done it helps you deal with those mistakes well anyway in, in this same article it was uh, giving some of the psychology of an apology and i read it and i thought well <laughs> the bible's known that stuff for thousands of years and the first thing is you you don't have anything to offer when you say sorry, accept your heartfelt apology. 
It also said, don't try and justify yourself. Explain why you did something wrong. That doesn't help. Also, don't try and make yourself feel better with the apology. And don't go in expecting forgiveness. But on that last one, actually, how we apologise to God and to man is, is slightly different. Because David, with this covenant knowledge in his mind, he does actually expect forgiveness. And you, if, you're a, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, you have that same sense of, of, of knowledge of forgiveness. You don't have to, every time you make a mistake, go groveling on your knees to God, please God, would I be forgiven this time? It's a bit like, maybe you know the story of the prodigal son. You know, the son comes back to the father and he rightly says, you know, I am no longer worthy because of his mistakes to be called your son. He still knows that he's got that special relationship. And the same is true for us. When we make a mistake, when we sin, we can come to our Father in heaven and say, I am, because of my mistakes, because of my sin, I am no longer worthy of you. But I am your son. And because of that, I can expect forgiveness. God's forgiveness is outrageous. David also uh, references the, the Jewish rites of, of purification. You know, it's not just that we get forgiven. Oh, yeah, you, I'll let you off. But, you know, you're still a bit dirty to me. No, they're, they're made pure. He talks about ceremonial washings being purged with hyssop. Um, hyssop was a, a little uh, herb that was used as a, a kind of paintbrush for blood um, in purification rituals. It first appears in the Passover, where God marks out by blood those whom he will save. But David knows that these external symbols are only of any use if we're internally repentant, which he is. But let's look again at uh, verses 3 and 4. I know my transgressions. I am fully aware of my mistakes. I haven't brushed them under the carpet and I'm going to confess them, David says. Firstly, when we deal with our mistakes, we realise we have nothing to offer. Second, we confess that we have done wrong. Don't sugarcoat it. Admit it. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. It's haunting me. I'm fully aware. And against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David knows that though he's a faith-born son of God, it would be righteous for God to punish him. But this is the good news of Jesus, that those who deserve punishment don't get it. 
when they put their trust in Jesus, that he took that punishment on the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This means we're no longer distant from our father. It means we can come to him as faith-born sons and daughters. It means we have a beautiful inheritance with him. It means we will rejoice. Verse 8 says, uh, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice, which means that the, the resurrected bones, the most inward, inmost parts of my being, will dance giddily before God. Our sins are blotted out. But if we're not careful, we can misread this psalm and think that our sins, once confessed and forgiven, carry no consequence. Verse 4, David says, against you, God, you only have I sinned. Which, we're going to look at the story that it's talking about in just a moment, but he's definitely wronged other people. But he, has a, he does have a right theology that as we offend our neighbours and our own bodies, those made in the image of God, we actually chiefly offend God, who is more deeply offended and more terrible to offend. We must remember that our mistakes have an impact today. You can read about the account that, that uh, this psalm is referring to in uh, 2 Samuel, uh, verses, uh, chapters 11 to 12. It's a particularly horrific account where David, of the Ten Commandments, breaks six, seven, eight, nine, and ten in one hit. He's jealous, commits adultery, and he lies, steals, and murders. And you could read this psalm and think that maybe he got away with it. But he didn't. He didn't, actually, because even though God fulfilled his promise that through David's line, through his sons, a king would rise, a ruler for the whole world, which is Jesus. A demonstration of God's unique ability to turn good from evil. And even though David's own forgiveness came from that same Jesus as he offered his life on the cross... In the short term, there were repercussions to David's sin. In his body and in his kingship, David was rendered impotent. His family was marked by infighting and death. And ultimately, the whole country was split from David and his sons falling to idolatry, and then to exile. Because of this moment, because of David's egregious 
sin. How we behave impacts those around us. And if we behave negatively, sorry, if we behave sinfully, it impacts negatively. We live in a, a world that says, you do you, don't we? Just, just do, do whatever makes you feel good. It's a lie. It's the biggest lie of our age. That we are, you know, just individuals existing in a vacuum. And when you do you, it has no societal impact. It's just not true. None of us live like that. Even in our socially distanced, locked down state that we find ourselves in currently, what we put out on social media and on the internet has impact on those who read it. And even if you did none of that and you just sat quietly in your room, how you think about other people, how you feel about those who are different to you, impacts how you treat them when you meet them. And it alters what you prioritise with your time and your money, your intentions. Sometimes when you're uh, preparing a preach, God will use specific points to just uh, convict you. And uh, I had one of these this week when um, uh, my kids are, are not particularly enjoying the heat. Um, they take after their father in that. Um, and uh, one of them particularly is, is not going to sleep very well. And the other night when uh, we just managed to get them down, they finally went and I expressed my anger towards that child to my wife. And I quickly repented because he, you know, that child wasn't in the room. I wasn't angry towards them. I, I kept it till later. But even that, I don't want to have that kind of thought process, that kind of feeling going on. Because when I get them up in the morning, I want nothing but love and affirmation for them. So what we do, even in the silent place, affects other people. Maybe uh, at this point you're starting to feel a little disillusioned with David. Um, maybe you just knew the uh, the David versus Goliath story and he, he comes out on top on that. He seems like a good guy. Or uh, you, you did know that he was Jesus' ancestor and maybe you're slightly appalled to, to read that he was, you know, a long, long way from perfect. Well, we're in a, a time right now in, in Britain where we're uh, rightly reviewing who it is that we honour as statues are being taken down of, of many historical figures from Britain as we seek to discredit slave traders. And that's good. I think that's good. But we do run into a slight problem. I've read you know, articles online, maybe you have too, about, well, who is it then that we should put up on a plinth, make a statue of? Who is it that we can point to and say, yes, there's someone who in every way is worth imitating?
And the problem is there's no one. David's just the same. They're all broken, confused people like you and me. But there is one man to whom we can always look and say, yes, that is one to imitate. That is one who is perfect in every way. There is one man in history who truly deserves our awe, our respect and our thankfulness. That man is Jesus. But instead of being put up on a plinth of praise, he was crucified on a cursed cross. He'd done no wrong. Yet he who was without sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. As Jesus drank the sour wine from a hyssop branch, and as he poured out the blood that marked out his people for salvation, we were cleansed of every sin that would stain us before, as we stood before him. This is, a, this is a corporate psalm, do you know that? It's for people to sing together. It's David's life, but it's the anthem of God's people eternally. Which is how we're going to finish in just a moment. Finally though, I, I did say this was a psalm of two halves. And the second half is all about worship it rightly turns its affection away from david and on to god we don't have time to to unpack it now but i i do want to say this dealing with our mistakes has nothing to do with self-pity self-loathing self-absorption in fact after self-reflection has nothing to do with the self at all but everything to do with glorifying God who forgives us. <laughs> I, uh, I, I heard it once that the mark of a, a mature Christian is the time it takes to go from sinning to celebrating. Because the immature Christian, when he makes a mistake, will you know, go around mithering and muttering and grumbling and groveling and hiding his head until eventually he remembers to turn his eyes to heaven and say, oh yeah, God, please forgive me. We mustn't take it for granted, but the mature Christian, when he makes a mistake, when he sins, knowing deeply the travesty of his fallen nature, falls to his knees immediately and repents confesses and having done so stands and glorifies God we're going to sing a song in just a moment that says it's finished it's over by his stripes we are healed every sin has been paid for and our fate is sealed forever what a joy we can expect forgiveness when we make mistakes. 
that we come and confess and we receive restoration. Thanks so much for watching. Have a wonderful Sunday. Goodbye.